Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to public worship here today, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Now I know that the uh, intimations have appeared on the screen, but can I just reiterate our thanks for those who continue to give to the the, the Ukraine appeal, another good collection, last Lord's Day. And you'll also notice that we're back to grass-cutting season, and I just want to thank all those who in previous years have helped out. There are a good number on the, on the rota. And uh, what we've decided to do is if you haven't requested your name comes off the rota, then you'll go back on the one for this year. But we're always looking for new recruits. Uh, you would only have to do it twice in the year. There are, I think, about 14 or 15 on the rota, but it's always good to get others involved. So if you're willing to take a turn at the grass cutting, please let me know. Now let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 22. It's page 226 of uh, the Psalter. Now the reason I've chosen this psalm today is this. This is Easter Sunday. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. He was put to death on the cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem on Good Friday. The astonishing thing about this song we're going to sing is this. It was written 3,000 years ago. In other words, it was written 1,000 years before Jesus ever went on to the cross. And there are seven sayings from the cross. And one of them is this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These are the very words that this song begins with. And you think to yourself, how does that work that somebody a thousand years before Jesus goes on to the cross and says these words, puts them into a song? And it reminds us of this. This God we are here to worship today is the God over all. And what I mean by that is this. It was his idea to create this universe. It was his idea to create you and I. Now... This is a fallen world. We have a problem with sin, every last one of us. It was God's idea to do something about that as well. And because it's God's overall idea, he can tell David, who wrote this song a thousand years before Jesus on the cross, not only what one of the sayings on the cross is, but he goes down into fine detail about they pierced my hands and feet. This is the astonishing God that we are here to worship today. He's in overall charge of everything. Nothing's out of kilter. And alas, he can meet out every need, even our greatest need, which is that we're all going to die. But there are two ways of dying. One, you die and you end up in the lostness of hell. The other, you die and you end up in the glories of heaven. How do sinners end up in the glories of heaven? Because of this Christ that this song is about. So let's sing to God's praise, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou me forsaken? Why so far art thou from helping me and from my words that roaring are? All day, my God, to thee I cry, yet am not heard by thee. And in the season of the night I cannot silent be. Now this psalm begins, like many psalms, on a note of sadness. It's dolorous. It ends in a a song of triumph. And I want us to notice that about this song. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou me forsaken? Thank you. 
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, as we bow here before you this day, we pray that we would um, give you the honour and the place that you are due. We are here this day because there's an empty tomb in the land of Israel. It is astonishing that the God who became a human being could say, but as for me, a worm I am. It is utterly astonishing that the God who became a human being could have it said of him that he was despised by the people. But Isaiah wrote of it 700 years before the event, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And David speaks of it a thousand years before the event, the cry from the cross at Calvary, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We realize that in his earthly pilgrimage, Jesus many a time turned heavenwards and cried out for the help of the eternal God. And we pray that we too, when we find ourselves at the end of our tethers, and we find ourselves all over the place, that we would remember to turn heavenwards and ask the eternal God to have mercy on us and to help us. And we pray that we would remember this day that you are the God who is full of grace and full of kindness. We are not like that. We come today in our fallen state. We come today as sinners. And as we look into ourselves and consider who we are and what we are, we have no hope whatsoever. We have forfeited everything before a holy God. But we are here this day because you remembered us in our plight. And you so loved this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it. That whosoever believeth in you should not perish but have everlasting life. O Lord our God, as we read your word and sing your word this day, we pray that you'd open our eyes so that we would understand the marvelous truths that are contained within it. And what we pray for ourselves who are gathered here, we ask for others who are joining with us online. And indeed, wherever your church is gathered across the world this day, we give thanks for many blessings. We give thanks this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. Gifts from you, gifts that come with responsibility. We pray that you'd enable us to bring them up to honour you. And wherever our loved ones are found this day across the globe, have mercy on them and gather us all to yourself so that we are not just together in this world, but together in the world that is to come. Remember those whose lives have to be adjusted because they have been visited by the cold hand of death in one way or another. You are reminding us day after day that we are only here for a few short years and then we will be swallowed up by the great conqueror. But alas, you are the great conqueror. You master death. You swallowed it up so that we can say this day of death, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh grave, where is your victory? May we all be found trusting in Jesus as our friend and saviour. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a wee story for the young people today. It's good to see you all. And uh, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of in the fields nowadays is newborn lambs. I had a couple of videos sent to me this week of newborn lambs. And uh, indeed, I was at a farm last week where there were lots of newborn uh, lambs. And you know one of the things I think is lovely at this time of year is when you get a good sunny day and you get a number of lambs in the field and they decide to get into a group and they run along maybe the edge of a fence and they're skipping and they're dancing and they look as if they're just full of life and full of verve and full of, full of spring I suppose.
But you know, as you look at a little lamb, one of the things that came into my head is this. Not only that they're lovely little creatures, I remember as a boy when my father would be at the lambing and I would be go around with them. And every time, you know, sometimes we might have to help a sheep uh, lamb and uh, that little creature would be spluttering for a wee while to get its first breath and then before you knew where you were it was on its feet and one of the things that happened to me was this it was it was this this is the creation of God it's God who does this and how they know how to go and suckle their mum and how they know how the mother knows what to do it's all a great mystery but it's not a it's not a mystery to God but one of the things that I think of when I see a little lamb is this they're so innocent now that means that they haven't done something that's wrong. And, and, and I'm afraid we're not like that. We've done lots of things that are wrong. We're not innocent. But you know, we're here today to worship Jesus. And we're here today and we remember that this is the very day that Jesus came forth from the tomb. Now, as I've said often, I say this in the church here, I say it in the clubs, I say it in the schools, that Jesus has lots and lots of different names, and every name has a meaning, and one of the names is that he's the lamb. But he's a very specific lamb. Do you know, one of the things I've been doing over the last few days is, I've been going on to Google, no, on to YouTube, and I've been watching what they're doing at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Now the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem is all that's left of the temple, the big huge temple that used to be in Jerusalem. And it's part of the foundation. It's an amazing thing to watch. Just the size of the stones and whatnot. But because it's Passover time, and Passover ties in with Easter, there are lots and lots of Jewish people going to the Wailing Wall to pray to God. Now, Jesus visited that temple, and Jesus was crucified outside that city. And one of his names, as I've already said, is the Lamb. Now, we had a relation called John the Baptist, and one day John the Baptist saw Jesus, and this is what he said, Look at him. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, you remember what I said about a lamb. It looks so innocent. Hasn't done anything bad. Hasn't got sin. We're not like that. We do things that are bad. We do things that are sinful. But here is the good news from God. He sent Jesus into this world to die and rise again so that our sins could be washed away. And when your sins are washed away, you enter into heaven and the world after this one. That is the good news that Jesus gives to us. And I hope that that gives us hope and excitement here today. But not only does it do that, but that we're here today because we love this God, we love this Jesus, and we really do want to worship him. I hope that's why all the young people are here today. And indeed, I hope that's why we're all here today. Now let's sing again to God's praise in the same song. This is Psalm number 22 and at verse 7. Psalm 22 at verse 7. All that me see laugh me to scorn. Shoot out the loop to thee. They nod and shake their heads at me, and mocking thus to say, This man did trust in God, that he would free him by his might. Let him deliver him, saith he had in him such delight. God didn't deliver him. Do you know why? Because God was intent on saving sinners like you and I. Let's sing verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 22. All that me see, laugh me to scorn.
let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Matthew and at chapter 27 we'll read from verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest its disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
And if this comes to the governor's uh, ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in a prayer. We realize when the events that we have just been reading about occurred, there were so many people who were just so afraid. But we realize also that Jesus kept saying to them, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And there's nothing new under the sun because here we are in the 21st century and for so many reasons we are just so afraid. But we pray that we would turn heavenwards with our fears and that we would hear the voice of God saying to us afresh this day, Don't be afraid. If I can handle the biggest fear that you have on your behalf, then other lesser fears I can deal with as well. But our problem is this. We simply don't believe you the way that we should believe you. Please have mercy on us for being like that. And we pray that today you would help us as a church in the midst of all the struggles and anxieties that we face. And we pray that this day you would help us also as a nation in the midst of the burach that we seem to find ourselves in. We thank you that there are those in positions of power who have bowed the knee to you. And we pray in particular for Kate and Ali and the family afresh this day. Give strength and succor, we pray. And we would ask that you would raise up others who would give you your place and who would acknowledge that righteousness alone exalts a nation. O Lord our God, we have nothing to plead to woo you into our midst, nothing. We have so much that would cause you to shun us. But you are the God of grace, and you are the God of mercy. That's our only hope. And that's the hope we come before you with this day. And as we turn to the Bible seeking to explore it afresh, we ask you to help us. Because we are poor and needy. And we need you. Every hour we need you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're going to continue in the same song uh, Psalm 22. It's in Sing Psalms this time. And that's found on page that's found on page twenty six of the Psalter. It's at verse uh, fifteen. My strength is like my strength is dried like shattered clay. And as I fight to draw my breath, my tongue is sticking to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Let's listen to this. A pack of dogs encloses me. Their circle round me is complete. I am beset by evil men, and they have pierced my hands and feet. We'll sing verses 15 to 21 of Psalm 22. My strength is dried like shattered clay.
Now let's turn to the passage we've read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and we'll read again at verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of what's going on in this area of Scripture. There are three things we want to look at briefly today. And the first of all, we will call expressions of love. Because very early on the Sunday morning, a group of women came to the tomb to do something. And what they were doing, we will discover, expressed their love for Jesus. The second thing we want to look at is what we will call obstacles overcome because there were obstacles in the way of the women doing what they were hoping to do. And the third thing we want to look at is uh, the reward, what we will call the reward of faith because it was faith that motivated these women and their faith, although we're going to discover it was a bit flawed, was rewarded by God. So these are the three things we want to look at uh, today. Now we are here today to worship God. And that worship is intimately bound up with the history of this world. You know, some people will say to you today and to me, you know, what you're doing is fairy tale stuff and it's all myth and it's all nonsense. Well, we don't agree. And we don't agree because, well, one of the reasons we don't agree is because we are here today because of the facts of history. Anybody that says that there was an individual called Jesus of Nazareth is a load of nonsense, is never ever going to be taken seriously at an intellectual level. Why? Because there's just too much evidence for it. Now what you make of Jesus is another thing entirely. That's a different question. I'm hoping that we are all here today because we accept that Jesus is who he claimed to be and we bow and worship uh, before him. But the idea that he never existed is a non-starter. But not only are we here today because an individual called Jesus of Nazareth walked the avenues of this world for 33 years, we are also here today because there's an empty tomb in the land of Israel. Now those that want to poo-poo that and who want to say people just don't rise from the dead, the answer is exactly the same. There is just too much evidence for the empty tomb. And not only is there so much evidence for the empty tomb, there's just so much evidence for 40 days Jesus meeting and interacting with so, so many people. The idea it's myth, the idea it's a fairy tale is just an own starter. We are not here with a blind leap in the dark. We are here with a faith that's in an individual that is rooted in the history of this world. Now what kind of world is it that we live in? Well, I've already mentioned this in my prayer today. We live in a world full of fear. You and I are here today and we all have fears. They may differ here and they may differ there slightly, but overall we all have our good share of fears. And one of the things we are afraid of is dying. It's unnatural. And we just, you know, there are so many in this world today, and this subject, the subject of dying, is just taboo. You, you're, you can't go to it with them. Why? Because they're afraid. Now I hope that we'll explore it, and I hope we will not run from it, and I hope it will not be a taboo subject. And the only reason I can say these things is this. Because there is an empty grave tomb in Israel. But we're confronted by this subject of death day in, day out. It's all around us. We can't escape it. And one of these days it's going to be you and it's going to be me. 
Now one of the things we in our culture do when people die is this. When people are buried, we go to the grave and we put flowers on the grave. Sometimes we also put flowers on the coffin at a funeral service and whatnot. And I'm not being critical of that in any way whatsoever. Because behind it all is this idea of respect. We love that person. And an outward manifestation of that love is that we will take some flowers and we will place it on the grave. I do it myself. But I'll tell you one of the things that goes through my mind when I do that kind of thing. It's this. If this is all we can challenge death with, then we're in trouble. Because a bundle of flowers, no matter how beautiful they might be, are not going to do much for that person who's dead, nor will they do much for us. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, because I do do it. It's an expression of love. It's an expression of respect. But let's be honest about this. It's a pretty futile expression in the face of this horrible thing called death. Now on that Sunday morning, Jesus goes on to the cross at 9 o'clock on Good Friday. He dies pretty quickly. He's dead by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And let's remember this. Our days change at midnight. The Jewish day changed at sundown around 6 p.m. So there's not a great deal of time. And you remember... The powers that be, the religious powers that be, they didn't want anybody hanging on a cross on their holy day. You've got to get rid of it. And that's what they did. There was a great rush on to get Jesus into his tomb. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea give Jesus dignity in his death and they entomb him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb that's never ever been used before. But these women want to do something. And part of what they want to do is they want to express their love for Jesus. Now, let's be honest about this. Their hearts are in their boots. Their hearts are in their boots. But they are not saying, you know what? Because all my hopes and dreams about Jesus are shattered. I'm not walking away from him. I'm going to stick with it. And I'm going to stick with him. And I'm going to do what I can to express my love for him. And so they get these sweet smelling spices. They would have done it on the Friday if they had got an opportunity. They didn't get an opportunity. The powers that be want to be very sanctimonious. And I guess the religious powers want to be very holy. This idea of slaughtering the Son of God. Who cares about that? Get rid of him. He's just a problem to us. But we can't have anybody at a crucifixion scene on our holy day. I don't need to underline to you the hypocrisy that's involved in that. But we are a fallen human race. And we're all tarnished with it. And we're all into hypocrisy at one level or another. And we're all into double standards. And you know the beauty of trusting in Jesus is this. You can afford to take a good hard look at yourself and cringe with shame as long as you flee to Jesus as Saviour. He'll sort it out for you. He'll sort it all out. Remember what I said. We're all here with our fears today. You're not going to master your fears. You're not going to handle them, nor am I. But we know someone that can. He kept saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why on earth would he say that? He says that because he is who he is. He is the Son of God. He is God come as a human being. He can sort out our deepest need, which is death itself. He can turn it on its head for us. And if he can sort out our deepest need, he can sort out all our lesser needs as well. And so these women 
show us expression here, an expression of their love for Jesus. Okay, it hasn't gone the way they thought it was going to go. They had their own ideas of how it was all going to work out, so did everybody else. But for them, their hopes and their dreams are in smithereens. But they're not for walking away. They are still going to be there very early whilst it was yet not fully sunlit. They are at the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Simply because they loved Jesus of Nazareth. They loved who he was, they loved who he was about, and they loved the fact that they could bring all their fears to him and he would meet them at their point of need. Yes, it's gone pear-shaped as far as they think, but they still love him and they still want to express that love towards Jesus. They want to take the spices and they want to anoint his body. And so they're there at the crack of dawn. Which leads me on to my second point, And that is obstacles overcome. Life is full of obstacles. There are so many things and there are so many people that get in our way as we try to make our journey through life's avenue. And I want to talk about two things. There will be others. But I'm just going to limit it to two things that were obstacles for these women on that particular day. These ancient cities, they were walled cities. And at night, the gates of these cities were closed. And if you were journeying from somewhere else, say from Jericho up to Jerusalem or from anywhere else, if you didn't get there in time, you were outside the city. Now that was not a good place to be. That was not a safe place to be. There were many people who were bandits who made their living not only by assailing travellers on the roads up to Jerusalem but some in the very immediate precincts outside the walls of Jerusalem they lived there and they made their living by assaulting and assailing by robbing those who were having to spend the night out there now these women knew that these women knew that. Now it is true that when the gates of the city were opened, it wasn't fully sunlit. There was still some degree of darkness around. What I'm getting at is this. There was still some degree of danger there. They knew that. And so you think to yourself, okay, why did they not stop? Why did they not delay? Why did they not leave it till 12 noon when the sun overhead was at its best? Why didn't they go then? And I think we know why they didn't go then. It's all tied up with that first issue. Expressions of love. Love is an interesting phenomenon. Real love can overcome all kinds of obstacles. You know what they say? There's nothing as blind as love. And there is an element of truth to, to that. Not that I'm saying that there was anything blind about the love of these women on this particular day. Because um, they knew who Jesus was. They knew what he'd done for them. And they loved him ordinarily. And they loved him fervently. Let's, let me just separate out one of the women because we know a bit more about her probably than, or more about her than all the women because although we've just read in this passage of two women, we pull in the other uh, gospel writers and we know that there were a number of women in this group that went uh, to the tomb of, uh, of Jesus. But one of them was Mary Magdalene. And when these women discover the empty tomb, 
all of them except Mary Magdalene, run into the city to tell others what they've found. Who was Mary Magdalene? Well, we know this much about her, that she was at one time possessed by seven devils. What does that mean? Her character was seriously blemished. She was a wicked woman by any yardstick, by any measurement. She was possessed by seven devils. And as far as I understand devil possession, or demon possession, no demon possesses anybody without the individual's authority and wish. But she came to Jesus of Nazareth, and he cast them all out. You talk about revolution in the life of an individual, you get revolution in the experience of Mary of, of, of Mary Magdalene. And what was the result and what was the consequence of that huge change and I dare say huge relief in her experience? She knew who Jesus was and she knew who she was and she knew what Jesus had done for her. And she loved him ardently and she loved him fervently for having done what he did. That is why this woman, when she realizes Jesus is dead, isn't for walking away. This woman is going to get there. Now, none of the women came on the Saturday because that was the Jewish Sabbath and you didn't do something like that on the Sabbath. They respected the commandment for the Sabbath a day. And that's why they waited till uh, the Sunday, the Sunday morning. But Mary Magdalene, like all the other women, know what it's like to be spending time on the outskirts of the city at that time of day. What mastered her? A woman who was streetwise, a woman who had her fair share of rebellion against God, a woman who had a besmirched character, a woman who was well acquainted with what was on the go at the time. What mastered her? And the answer is this. Love towards Jesus of Nazareth. There are bandits there. They're an obstacle. But love overcomes that obstacle. Here's another obstacle. The stone. There was no way in the world these women were going to be able to roll back that stone. Now I'm not being sexist here. You know, when God created man and woman, he made us all equal in his sight, but he gave us different functions. A woman can bear a child, a man cannot bear a child. A, a, a man can beget a child, a, a woman cannot beget a child. That's pure physiology. But it's also true that men physically, by and large, are stronger than women. And that's why you have an outcry just now when you have transgenders wiping the boards in sports and, and, and the women are saying, no, hold on, there's something wrong here, there's an unfair advantage here. And they're absolutely right about that. But these women, if they're going to do what they want to do, they need to get that stone rolled away. And they are not going to manage it on themselves. What do they do? They don't sit in the city and say, oh man, this is a problem, how are we going to get around it? That's not what's happening. They're not saying we need to sort this out, we need to get some strong men here with us. They are driven to the tomb. And they are driven by one thing, and one thing only. They love the person that they think is still in that tomb. And so they go. And the astonishing thing for people that go like that is this. When they get to the tomb, the stone's already rolled away. But it's not a man who's rolled it away, it's an angel or maybe angels. The servants of eternal God have done the bidding of God and rolled away the stone that 
was at the entrance to the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. Which leads me on to my third and final point, and I'll get through it briefly. And it's called the reward of faith. What was the reward? It was an astonishing reward. Come see the place where Jesus lay. What do we want to look at that for? Because it's empty. He is not here. He has risen. Now, it wasn't new to them. Because Jesus had said it again and again and again. I'm going to die, but I will rise again. Even his enemies knew that. We've just been reading about it. They posted guards all around the tomb to make sure that nobody came and stole the body of Jesus and started spinning a lie. You know, he's alive. We don't know where he is right now, but he is alive. There's an empty tomb. And not only was there an empty tomb, but as I said, these women ran into the city to tell others, and Mary Magdalene is left all on her own, and she's still a heartbroken, desolate woman. And she hears somebody, and she thinks it's the gardener, and she says to them, if you know where the put him will you tell me where he is so I can go and get him what does that tell you she still thinks in terms of a dead Jesus until the so called gardener speaks to her in a way that he had spoken to her probably often before and the penny drops this is no gardener this is Jesus of Nazareth this is my saviour he is alive he is risen from the dead. And one of the things she would have remembered was this. He said it again and again and again to me. And one of the things she would have experienced was a deep sense of guilt. And an unnerved conscience. Because I didn't believe him. I simply didn't believe him. But my point is this. I'm still calling this. The reward of faith. Because it was faith in Jesus that took them to that tomb. And the reward of, being, of, of, of taking themselves to that tomb was, not only did they see an empty tomb, but Mary Magdalene sees a risen Jesus. That's the reward of faith. Now let's remember this. Let's not get bogged down for one second in this idea that faith is meritorious to ourselves because alas faith is a gift of God God gives the gift of faith but it's not God who does the believing we're the ones that have to do the believing Mary Magdalene and these other people had to do the believing yes it is true their believing was flawed in what way was it flawed well they think it's a dead Jesus they're going to see. If their faith had really been operating the way it should have done, they would have remembered on the third day I will rise again. And so we can say with all respect that there was a flaw in their faith. But we're all here today flawed. And anybody here today with faith is flawed. It's flawed faith. What do I mean by that? I mean that we don't treat Jesus the way we should treat Jesus and we don't treat him the way we should treat him because we don't believe him the way we should believe in him. But I want to make a big qualification. Just because we have flawed faith does not mean we have no faith. And I want us to remember that. Because I believe the enemy of our souls causes so much chaos in our lives because of our flawed faith. And he wants, it, he wants to get it into our heads that we're not believers at all because we're so inept and so pathetic and so 
out of kilter so much of the time. And we can't argue with that. That's the way it is. That's the truth. But it does not de-Christianize us. It does not say we have no faith. These women had flawed faith. But even flawed faith is given a marvelous reward by the one whom their faith was focused upon. Remember that. Remember that. You and I, if we are here as believers in Jesus... And I'm not condoning sin. I'm not excusing it. I'm not justifying it. For one second it is ugly and it is horrible. But I want us to be realist. We are going to struggle till our dying day with this thing called sin in our makeup. But it's people who believe who really struggle with it. Remember that. When the enemy of your soul is hammering the life at you, Remember that. Remember that. And remember this. That that flawed faith of these women was hugely rewarded. It's not that this is their only reward. There's a reward in the grave beyond that they're savouring off now. But even that reward isn't the final reward. Because the final reward is body and soul experience with no sin with this one risen Jesus. That is what you call real reward. But I hope that we are all here today with faith. With a faith that God is going to reward not only in this world but in the world that is to come may God grant it would be true for each and every one of us Amen let's pray O Lord our God on this day we remember that empty tomb may we remember who you are may we remember what you are about and may we like Mary Magdalene of old rejoice in you because you have delivered us from ourselves and you have delivered ourselves from our sinfulness and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's conclude it's the same song Psalm 22 and it's at verse 26 it's page 27 of the Psalter the poor will eat and will be filled and those who seek the Lord will give a shout of joyful praise to him oh may your hearts forever live the whole earth will remember him and turn towards the Lord their God all peoples will bow down to him the nations of the world abroad we'll sing verses 26 to 31 of Psalm 22 the poor will eat and will be filled
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each.